The story on where the series that we're in came from is that uh, we were projecting some pretty important what we think are central or core uh, subjects to the life of this church and the ministry of this church and we were projecting it for oh six or eight weeks I think at least six weeks series that I wanted to do and we were talking about doing it in the summer and somebody said well maybe we should wait till the fall when everybody kind of gets back and inside me I just went no no and that was kind of the feeling we had I think around that conversation circle uh, the disclaimer is, if you get a chance to take a vacation, take your vacation. Don't go into debt to take a vacation. Go somewhere you can afford. If you can't afford to go somewhere, stay home and do fun things around here. There's a book of day trips about Kansas City. It'd be worth the few bucks to get that. But that said, don't be gone all summer. I, don't, I know you guys, and you don't have the money to do that. Uh, I get more vacation time than we can afford to be away, and so I understand that. And um, So this summer, though, though some of us will be missing, and if you get the chance to go, go. That's the word. But the rest of us who are in town, and you who are out of town, we're in the ministry. We're on a mission and I want us to press forward spiritually and in every way this summer. What if, what if the Lord comes at the end of a summer sometime, like this summer, and we've just kind of said, well, we'll just kind of pick up and I'm going to live for God this fall, but I got some stuff I need to visit. You know, I need to be on the boats. I, there's just a bunch of stuff I need to do. I'm not talking about your bass boat, honey. Okay, don't go. Uh, that's the word of the Lord on that subject. What if the Lord comes and we've just been sloughing off? Now, I don't know that you, I think you miss the rapture. I'm not threatening you with that. I'm threatening you with standing in his presence. The one who, who loved us, who gave everything he had, who laid down his life, who endured the tearing of his body to pieces, not broken bones, but, but his flesh was shredded. The prophet and the Old Testament said, they plowed my back like a field. I used to work on a farm. You don't want your back plowed like we did that field. It was the right thing to do to the ground, not the right thing to do to a back, unless it's on purpose. His was on purpose, and you're going to stand before him. And you stand there and say, well, I've, I would have forgiven, but, but that guy doesn't deserve it. Do you hear what you just said? What do you think forgiveness is? If they deserve to be forgiven and you're holding them accountable for something they deserve to, to be forgiven, that makes you crazy or an idiot, um, really low in your ability to reason or all of the above. It is when they don't deserve it that you have to forgive. That's what forgiveness is. And you're going to stand before the one who said, as they nailed him to the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue. 
They just don't know what's going on. And you're going to stand in his presence, and I don't want to stand there saying, well, I, I needed some time off, Jesus. You know, I've, I've been working really hard, and there's a lot of stress on my job. You need to be thanking God you got a job, for starters. It's really quiet here this morning, and that makes me worse. So if you start talking to me, maybe I'll lighten up a little. Let's look at Philippians 3. Uh, the text for last Sunday and this Sunday, beginning, beginning with verse 12. <clears throat> Not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, while I'm forgetting what is behind straining toward what is ahead, I press. This is the one thing. The context is <clears throat> forgetting the past. Past is wonderful. Some people live in the past. You're so wrong, I don't know how to describe you. Weird. Forget the past. If it was awful, get it under the blood of Jesus. If it was wonderful, every time you think about it, just have a little, have a little shout and spell. And then looking forward, do the one thing. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, I understand this is kind of high up because all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If you're new here, understand that the sarcasm that you experience in this is very common in this place. It can get worse. So don't get mad at me just yet. Try to listen to the whole thought. I may bring it around to where it's not quite so bad. On some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. That means you don't get to one point you disagree on. That means he's going to get to you and change your mind. Only let us live up to that, to what we have already attained. We are today living in what has been called a post-Christian culture. A post-Christian culture, just simply, it's, it's pictured uh, a generation ahead of us in Europe. They have, ever, ever since <clears throat> I've been aware of the missionary activity, Latin America, Africa, the Far East, Europe has been the black hole of spiritual death. No revival. They, all of the great churches uh, are very poorly attended or have been closed, have been sold, and they make nightclubs out of them, they make museums out of them, whatever. Gorgeous architecture, great pieces of property, but no spiritual life. And that's not the church, really, any more than this building is the church. This is, in, in the old phraseology from when I was a kid, this is the church house or the church's house. The church built it for itself so we would have a good place to come, bring people who need to know the Lord, bring our, our bondages and our brokenness and have blessing and healing and deliverance, salvation here. But... And, and by the way, that, that doesn't mean you can disrespect this property because, bless goodness, we built this thing and are trying to pay for it and don't damage it. Okay, that just, just for the record there. Uh, people say, well, if you talk like that, they won't respect the building. Well, if you catch them disrespecting the building, correct them and fix them. Don't fix them permanently, but fix them. And 
the, um, but this is, this is our building. We built it and gave it to the Lord, and I'm sure he accepted it, sort of, but he's not really interested in buildings. He's interested in buildings. He wants your heart, your life, individually, and so often the church, and, and the church spoken of as the temple, is in the plural. It's not an individual. It's we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So please keep in mind that in a post-Christian culture, one fact emerges. It is more difficult to evangelize a post-Christian culture than a pre-Christian culture. It's harder work. They have all of the answers about what's wrong with the church. They know that the church is really kind of stupid to believe that something you can't see is more real than this that you, than, that you can see. And uh, they believe stuff that just drives me crazy. You've heard me up here struggling with this business of why they would think socialism works when it's never worked on the face of the earth in human history. And the brightest minds in our country, as a rule, just think that the government ought to own everything and run everything, and then everybody would be wonderful and would just work hard. That's what they've done all over the world as these, pardon me, that was sarcastic in case you missed it, as these economies implode. If you want to know what socialism does, go to Cuba. You can get in legally now, sort of. Go and visit there. See the wonderful wealth and the great freedoms. A wonderful lifestyle, high standard of living that they all have. Now, you pardon me for those, because this is, socialism is a political thing, not a spiritual thing only. Marxism slash socialism decrees that there is a spark of good in everybody. And if you can just get rid of these classes and the rich and the poor are made more uh, level, that everyone will just work for the good of the cause. And you know what they'll do? They won't get out of bed for the good of the cause. They'll cheat if they go to the job. Russia found this out. They had these massive farms, collective farm communist communes, and they couldn't feed their people. So they took 10% of the land and gave it to the farmers to farm on their own and they could get the profit from that. And that's what fed the country. They won't work for the good of the cause. Let the cause go sit on attack is the way they feel. They? Who uses your toothbrush? That's the guy I'm talking about. So it is spiritual even though it looks like a political deal, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that one of the two major political parties is better than the other in our current deal because they're both just pretty much pure socialists, one a little bit more than the other, and the other one I just want to kick their tail. There should be an... Anyway. <clears throat> so here we are. We're in this culture, and the bright folks say there is no God and if there is a God, he certainly doesn't mess around with us. And uh, what we need to do is take care of the poor through tax monies. Don't talk about government money. The government doesn't have any money. It's your taxes, baby. 
get the message if you pay taxes. Now, I would talk about government money if I didn't pay taxes. I'm going to have to get with this here. Acts 26, uh, Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now the picture was Paul had been arrested and, and now a couple years later he is still in prison. They, they arrested him in Jerusalem. They had to move him down the hill toward the west to the coast uh, in Caesarea. And they kept him there and he was giving his witness to the top people in that town and in that area and as they would come through. So Agrippa was a king over one of the areas in the Roman Empire and he came through and Festus was the governor now in Caesarea, the Roman governor. <clears throat> and uh, Festus was uh, messing with, with Paul and said, would you, would you be willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial on this? And uh, Paul had been spoken to by the Lord when he was arrested. The Lord told him that he was headed for Rome. Well, Jerusalem is not on the way to Rome from Caesarea. It's the wrong direction. So, as a Roman citizen, he just had the right of appeal. He said, I appeal to Caesar. When, when uh, Festus wanted to send him back to, to Jerusalem. So, he, there were no charges. That, that could be substantiated. And so the king came in and Festus said, uh, help me out with this guy. I want you to hear this guy because I've got to write something to the emperor because I'm fixing to send this prisoner on and it's really dumb to not have any written charges. It's just like, he appeals to you. Well, what's the charge? Well, I don't know, but, you know, it's like, well, why didn't you let him go back here? I can just hear all of that. But So Paul gives his witness and this is... I love, I love the picture here so much, church. I want you to, I want you to see how, how much God loves people on every level. If you think he hates rich people, let me show you what he did. Paul was starting churches all over the world, and he was starting powerful churches. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him to go to Jerusalem, even though it was being prophesied all the way to Jerusalem that he was going to be arrested and going to suffer a lot, he said, it's the will of God. Get off my back. That's a paraphrase. <clears throat> and so he gets arrested in Jerusalem and sits in a jail cell for two years. They are not planting church. He's not planting churches. He's just there. But you see... When he was arrested, he got to give his witness to the uh, Jewish ruling bunch, the Sanhedrin. They were both uh, religious leaders, and in the same body, the power of the, the political stuff was vested. He, he got to give his witness to the, the commander of the Roman troops in Jerusalem. He got to give his witness to Felix and his wife and then Festus followed Felix after a couple years and then King Agrippa and his wife and all of the leading people of that area. They heard the whole story. They heard how he had oppressed and, and persecuted the Christians and now how he was um, trying to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and he preached the resurrection. 
And Agrippa knew the story of, of the gospel. And so this is one of those occasions where they've got all of the leading citizens of Caesarea and of that area, Festus the governor and King Agrippa, and Festus, Paul, the anointing, here's what was happening. The anointing was getting so thick in that place that Festus felt like he had to do something. Is getting out of hand. And so he says, Paul, your great learning is making you mad. And Paul said, no way. I'm not mad. And then he turned to the king. And he said, the king knows that these things are true. This hasn't happened in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do, he says. And then we get to our, our scripture here. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Now before I go to that, let me finish this circle I made with Paul here. God then used Paul to witness King Agrippa and his wife, the centurion on the boat, the whole island of Malta where they were shipwrecked, and then in Rome and eventually to the emperor, he told his witness. Now that's a very small crowd because Paul was used to work in the marketplace and being all over. But God intends for everyone to hear the gospel. The, the poor are easier to get to. And God loves them and he wants the message there. And if you are too good to preach to the poor, you need to meet Jesus. However, he intend, God intends for the rich and the powerful to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the will of God. And he took Paul out of the church planning circuit and stuck him in a jail cell so he could witness to these hot shot top people all the way to the emperor. Small, small number by comparison. But God did that. That's the coolest deal. I used to, you know, I'm idealistic. And so I'm reading the book of Acts and he's, he's headed for Jerusalem and they're saying, don't go. And I'm saying in my heart, don't go. And he goes to the next place and, and they're saying, don't go. And I'm saying, don't go. And then I get really mad when he finally gets to Jerusalem and goes to see the church. The church leaders. And they say, now we, everybody has heard that you are against the law. And so we've got this plan that will make it clear that you still keep the law. And I'm thinking, you guys are idiots. Get off his back. Don't you know he's going to get arrested? And finally it dawned on me, I'm resisting the will of God. It was not some awful miscarriage of circumstances for Paul to be arrested in the temple. That was the will of God. You need to be going like this so I can see. It's kind of dark where you are, so do it. Do it kind of in a large fashion. God loves everyone and he tends, intends for everyone to hear the gospel. Don't you withhold the gospel from the rich or the poor. The middle people, the mean people, the good people. Don't withhold the gospel. They're going to go to hell if they don't hear it and respond in faith to it. 
They're going to hell. That's just the way it is. Tell them the gospel. Tell them about Jesus Christ. So in the middle of Paul's story now, we, Agrippa says, do you think that in 20 minutes you can convert me? And I think that's kind of the way our culture is. Hold it. We've already heard that. Hold it. So I want to, I want to show you a good response to that. Earlier in the book of Acts, not long after Jesus has ascended, in chapter 3, the, the lame man at the gate beautiful of the temple is healed. And it just shakes up that end of town, man. And a couple thousand people are saved that day. Now that, that's a revival. That's wonderful. We need that because if they're not saved, they're going to be lost. That's kind of the way that works. And so the, the apostles were just witnessing and preaching and healing the sick to the extent that they would bring the sick out. And in the morning when Peter would be going to the temple to pray, they'd set them on the west side of the street so that the eastern sun uh, shining as, as Peter walked by, his shadow would fall on these people on their cots lying on the ground there on their little mats and they were healed. Now that's an answer, folks. That's an answer. That'll work even in a post-Christian culture. It doesn't work as well as in a pre-Christian, but it works. It will work. So this was going on, and so the, the Sanhedrin bunch, which I mentioned earlier, arrested the, the leaders, and they brought them in, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John, it says in Acts 4.13, and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. They did take note that these men had been with Jesus. And of course, a lot can be made out of that, but I don't think the text actually is making it something that's because they'd been with Jesus that they had all this anointing. It's because they were full of the Holy Spirit that they had all this anointing. Because others had been with Jesus and said, you know what, that's just too tough. And I can't risk being thrown out of the synagogue. And so I'm just going to play it low and low-key it here. But not Peter and John and these others. They were, they were wearing it on their sleeve. And though they, had not, they did not have a seminary degree, they were doing these mighty miracles. And they had watched Jesus do it and said, if he can do it, and tells us to do it, then we can do it, because he'd already demonstrated that to them earlier. Now, there is a wonderful thing about this. These guys arrested Peter and John as they were preaching about the resurrection, and that was what really upset the temple leaders, because they were Sadducees, and they did not believe in any of the spirit world. They did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in angels. There was a God, sort of, but, I mean, it was just like, really, really uh, a very narrow understanding of all of that. Well, Peter and John were saying, it is Jesus whom you killed, but God raised him from the dead, and that's why this, this guy was healed. 
You all know him. He's been, he's over 40 years old. He never has walked a step in his life until the, when we grabbed him by the hand and said, be healed. And he went walking and jumping. He'd take three or four steps and just jump straight up. And he'd take three or four more steps and just jump straight up. He'd never been able to do that. If there'd been a basketball goal and he'd had a basketball, he could have dunked that sucker. He was, he was healed. Brand new. You know, when you learn to walk, you have to get the coordination to be able to walk as a little kid. And that's the reason the little tiny ones are so unsteady as they start. Because it's all kind of, they have to think, I'm falling over this way, so i got to do, you know, so they correct. And it's hard. It's a strain. And you see that strain. And of course, we're all clapping, and so they want that, so they go through with it. But it's hard. He had the coordination as if he had walked all his life. When he was healed, God put in his brain and in his spinal cord all of that stuff, all of those nerves where they go, and just like that, it was done. It was perfect. Now, folks, you could be jumping and running like he was because this is exciting. This is what God does. And we say, well, that was back then. Of course it was back then. That's where the church had been started at the cross of Jesus Christ and had been anointed at Pentecost and they're just kind of feeling their way along trying to spread the news. And that's what we're still doing, by the way. I hope we're trying to spread the news. We're still just trying to feel our way along to walk with God, to be close to Him, to be healed in our hearts and to do His will. That's what we're trying to do. And the key... In this verse 14 here in Acts 4, the Sanhedrin would love to have just put these men to death. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Randy Reese, an evangelist and dear friend of this congregation, member of our family as a church, comes to us every once in a while. And in one of these visits, Eunice said to him, we were talking about revival, and she said, all we need are a couple of miracles. And Randy just thought that was the cutest thing. And I, he has quoted that all over the country because it's dead right. If we can, in, and you know, a couple of miracles is not going to save very many people. So it's like we're going to have to have two miracles per life. For them to be saved. So let's just have the miracles. Doesn't strain the Holy Spirit. God who created the universe with his word. By the Holy Spirit hovering over the earth. Can create miracles. With the ease of you taking a breath. When you're in total health. I'm not talking about it. If you're choked up with emphysema. Or something like that. I'm talking about healthy breath. It is nothing to God to do this because it is no strain. I used to think I was so bad that God couldn't forgive me. That is so silly. That is so arrogant. That is so proud. I, uh, I hate that. I tell you that so you can know how stupid I really am. Not evil. Stupid. And that's, that's the way I can recognize stupidity in you so easily. I'm, I'm familiar with it. Come from a long line of stupid. 
And God is wanting us to do this wonderful miracle stuff, whatever it takes. I, I, I think about one of our families who not that long ago had a death and and there's, there's just so much pain that goes with this, even though the person was really sort of old enough to die. It's, it's not funny. It's not good. But let me tell you what's going to happen to some of those members in that family. I believe this with all my heart. I haven't seen it just fully happen yet, but it will. He is going to come and through prayer or some simple little word, heal and bring comfort. And all of a sudden... That person is going to get really, really open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, they all know the gospel. That, that bunch happens too. But they, they're not living that well for the Lord. And so the, it, I can just see it. And I know what the miracle is going to be. And you know that if your baby is sick and you're just not real close to God or don't know much about God, and somebody prays for that child, and they just get well, you get kind of open-minded about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we've got to do that. I, want, I, I know we want to set up a strategy where we're all organized and we go out like an army. But, but when you're dealing with a, with a post-Christian culture, you're going to have to do relationships and it's kind of hard to do that as an army. You're going to have to do that all by yourself. You're going to have to be good to people. You're going to have to stop acting like a jerk. And that's a real strain. I've tried that once. That's hard. Stop acting like that. Start loving people, washing their feet. And then at the right moment, if a miracle is needed for them to be saved, the Lord is going to give it because he's trying to save. He is out to get your lost friends and family. He is out to get them. He loves them. He gave his son for them. It is so exciting to be in this place at this time. And I want you to just open your heart because the Lord is going to do something for us as this service progresses. Christy is going to come and conclude. in Isaiah 61, starting with verse 1, and this is prophesying about Jesus. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. You know, Jesus read that in front of the people. And then he rolled up the scroll and he said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. This is me. It's finished here. And then he went to the cross and he accomplished 
all that it took, all of the requirements that it took to have all that is said in Isaiah 61, starting with verse 1. And we, as a church here at Crown Point, I believe a lot of us have a desire to see the move of the Holy Spirit within our lives and to see the miracles and to have the change that needs, needs to take place. And the Lord is saying to us today, it's been accomplished. And so now let's walk in it. He paid for it all on the cross. There wasn't one thing left out. There was not one disease that was left out in what he went through on the cross. There was not one diagnosis. There was not one family or financial situation or relational issue or mental state or emotional state that was left out. Not one. There was not one moment of abuse or neglect or rejection that was left out. It was covered on the cross by his blood, paid for. And now this morning, I want us to reside together in unity. There's something about coming together in unity that God loves I think one of the things is we have to set aside our, our agendas, our plans, our time frame for what church is supposed to fall under. We have to set that aside. And some of us, we have to just give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I give this to you because this is really hard for me. I don't want church to go longer than 1145. And we have to literally commit that to him and say, here I am. And we, I want us to take some time to lift up his name because when his name is lifted up, that's when he get, we get drawn. All men get drawn unto him. And that is when it is only by his power that the miracles take place. And one thing I truly believe that is going to take place this morning is we are going to get rid of an old mindset about miracles and, and, and who they can flow through and who they can't and about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I am believing for that for each and every one of us here. That there will be a refilling. Did you know in Acts, when you go through the book of Acts, there was a time when all those people that got baptized in the Holy Spirit, that a few chapters later, they got refilled. It's not an event. It's not a one-time deal. And you speak in tongues, and then you're done. There is a constant flow like a river of life that comes forth through being completely immersed or baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's another thing I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do this morning. And then down here at these altars, 
The song says break every chain because there's power in the name of Jesus. That's going to take place this morning too because you and I, we have chains. We have bondages, some things that we're not even aware of. Did you know that things can be passed down through your DNA in, a, in the spirit realm that you can receive in your DNA? And the world looks at it and said, well, your mom and your dad or your mom, your, your grandma, your great grandma, uh, they all had that. So you're going to have that, too. But you know what? The blood of Jesus says, no, I paid for that. You don't have to have that. That chain can be broken off of your family line and not sent down ahead of you. Amen? So let's stand, and we are going to worship together. And we're going to take the time. We're not going to rush. We're not going to drag out something even.